0: And uh, we're going to now read from Second Corinthians, Chapter eleven, and verse sixteen onwards. And this is found on page one thousand one hundred and fifty two. Second Corinthians. Chapter 11 and verse 16, page 1152. And the Apostle Paul writes, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, Or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? I also dare, I, I, I also, so, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and father of our Lord Jesus. Who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of, the, of Damascus. In order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket. Through a window in the wall. And escaped his hands. So let's now keep our Bibles open and let's pray and ask God to help us as we consider his word together. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for all that we've been thinking about this morning already. And we pray now that as we consider your word, we pray, please, help your word to be taught accurately And in the power of the Holy Spirit. And please, Lord, speak to us all, those of us who belong to you. Help us to be encouraged. Help us, Lord, to serve you more faithfully and strengthen us for any difficulties that we might face in the future. And we pray, Lord, that any who do not yet know Christ, we ask that you'll move them to come to you and to trust in Jesus for salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in this passage that I've just read, Paul does something which he hates to do. In fact, he does something which he calls foolish. He does something which he would never normally do at all, which is that he boasts about himself. But when he does boast about himself, he does so in a way which people very, very rarely boast about themselves. Because when he boasts about himself, he doesn't boast about his achievements or his strength his power his money his successes he boasts about his weakness and about his suffering and uh, we will we'll see why he does in in a while now this passage has a great deal to teach us about the proper service of Christ. It helps us to see what a real servant of the good news of Jesus Christ looks like. We can see from this passage, and we can learn from the example of the Apostle, that that a true servant of Christ will be very reluctant to boast about himself, will only do so if forced into it, and will only as he does so, will only speak about his weakness and his suffering. It also, we also can see from this passage that a true servant of God will not misuse the spiritual power and authority that he has. We see also that a true servant will be someone who suffers. And who may suffer a great deal for the sake of Christ. A true servant of the Lord also will have deep concern for the Lord's people. And a true servant of the Lord will be willing to suffer humiliation for the sake of Christ. Now why do you need to listen to this passage well if you're a christian you need to listen to this passage because for one reason is that if is that you may at some point in the future be involved in the choice of a pastor or an elder to serve you so you need to know the sort of person you need to look for you need to you need to look for somebody who who fits the description that is that is mentioned here and indeed fits the description of other churches as well. You may also, at some point in the future, need to move to a, another church. Maybe you might move house, you might move location. And one very important factor in needing to find a new church in the new area that you move to will be what is the pastor or what are the pastors of that church like? Does that man or do those men show the sorts of characteristics that are described here in this passage? Another reason why you'll need to be familiar with this passage and take notice of it it's because you need to know the sort of books that you should read. You should read Christian books, by the way. I would encourage you to do so. If you don't have any books at home, help yourself to the books on the library uh, there and, and, and make good use of those. Uh, or, or buy some books. Uh, you need to know what sort of pastors you should be listening to. There's some very good pastors out there on YouTube and and Sermon Audio and so on, but you need to find a man or find men who fit the description that is here. Now also, it may be that a, a young man, maybe a boy, might be listening to this or might listen online. And might hope one day to be a pastor. Well, here's a sort of job description for being a pastor. Here are the sorts of characteristics that you should be cultivating. But also, this passage should should be something that all true Christians can learn from. Because although, yes, pastors must set an example, pastors are really called to set an example for all believers. And the moral characteristics that a pastor should show are the sort of characteristics that every believer should aspire to. And so as we learn about the Apostle Paul here, we should learn about ourselves and about the way that we should conduct ourselves in our daily lives. Now what about if you're not yet a Christian? Well, if you're not yet a Christian you need to learn from this as well because this passage tells us that part of serving Christ is that you need to be ready to suffer for Christ. And I we and we need to be absolutely plain and upfront with you. We don't want anybody to come become a Christian under a false illusion, thinking, Oh, it's all going to be easy being a Christian. It's not. You may well suffer a great deal. And this passage t- will inform you of that. But also, we can learn from this passage and from the whole of Scripture that even if we do suffer for Christ, we will be greatly blessed in the end. So let me just remind you, before we look at the passage in a bit more detail, let me just remind you of the context. We're in that passage, we're in the part of 2 Corinthians, which goes from chapter 10 pretty much to the end of the letter where the apostle paul is warning the believers in corinth about the false teachers and he's having to defend himself against the false charges that are made by these false teachers they're saying don't listen to paul he's a waste of time he's old hat we've got a new message which is better than what Paul brought and last week we were thinking about verses 13 to 15 and some of you who were here might remember that we saw from verses 13 to 15 just back over the page there that he talked about these false teachers and he talked about how these false teachers made false claims to have gifting that they didn't have They said they were apostles. And similarly, there are many false teachers today who make claims to be apostles or to be prophets or to be healers when they're nothing of the sort. And then we also saw that these false teachers were deceitful workmen. They were saying that they were building the church when in fact they were just building their own empires. And again, we see that today, don't we? People claiming to build the church, but actually all they're doing is they're building something false based upon their own personality or maybe based upon loud music or based upon false claims of healing. And that... One day will collapse like a pack of cards because it's got no solid foundation. And then also, we saw that these people were pretending to be righteous when they were not. Just as the devil pretends to be an angel of light, so these false teachers were claiming they were disguising themselves as servants of righteousness when in fact their hearts were corrupt and again we see this today people who claim to be Christian teachers they claim to be serving Christ but in fact they're like their obedience to Christ is only on the surface like Jesus said they're wolves in sheep's clothing they're in disguise pretending to be Christians but actually Their hearts are not renewed. They are still dead in their sins, and they love Satan and they love sin. Well then, this leads us then to this passage where the Apostle Paul then uh, speaks about himself as a true servant of the gospel. And and I'm going to I want to bring out five things that the Apostle Paul says about himself here in this passage. The first thing is this. If he does boast at all, he does so very reluctantly and only speaking about his weaknesses. You see, these people, these false teachers we can infer from this passage and from other passages. They were boasting about how rich they were. They were boasting about their about their, their, their successes. Boasting about their claimed gifts. Uh, boasting about their apparent visions of God. But Paul very very reluctantly if he does boast at all he, he does so very reluctantly and, and as he does so he speaks about his suffering the very thing that they pointed to as a reason for shame because they said oh look at Paul suffering so much he must be such a bad apostle Such he must be out of favour with God Paul said no the thing that they regard of as being something to be shamed about is something which, in a right sense, I can be proud of. So uh, we read then in verses 16 to 18 in, this, in these verses, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I, may, I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So he feels forced into it, and he doesn't. This is this is something which normally would be foolish. It normally would be wrong to boast at all. Normally. As he said earlier in this letter, he would only boast about the Lord. And he would only boast about the ways in which God has used him to preach the gospel. But as it were backed into a corner by the fact that there are these false charges being made against him. And by the fact that these people were boasting about their supposed gifts and abilities. He therefore does something which doesn't come naturally to him at all. He does it with extreme reluctance and he speaks about himself and uh, the, the sufferings that he goes through. Now, what lesson can we learn from this? Well, we can see from this that we need to be very, very wary about the person who boasts about his money, or boasts about his powers, or visions, or whatever. I can remember um, someone saying to me that he went to a meeting of, of some supposed healer, and he said, "Oh, you know, I've got this fantastic mansion. Look what God has done for me. I've got this brilliant mansion. I've got this. I've got this fantastic limousine. I've got this." Private jet that I go around the, the the world jetting in, and he was boasting about about how rich he was supposed to be, boasting about his supposed powers. Well, somebody who does that, you can be sure, is not a true teacher. You can forget him immediately. But then we need to we need to learn from Paul's example, don't we, as well? Because we are very much encouraged, all of us today, to blow our own trumpet. A lot of the social media is all about that, isn't it? You know, you take a, a photograph of yourself at some exotic location so that people can can think how, how you know, what these marvellous holidays you're having. Or, you know, you take a photograph of yourself wearing some really expensive clothing or some... Fancy jewellery or something like this. And it, it can, if we're not careful, be a form of boasting. We need to be careful that we don't actually, maybe in some subtle way or other, boast in a wrong way. Or perhaps we might talk about, you know, how, oh, the Lord used me to lead somebody to the Lord in fact if we're not careful we're we're actually drawing attention to ourselves rather than to what god did in somebody's life we should be extremely reluctant to boast at all and and if we do have to boast perhaps because we're forced into it as the apostle paul was we boast not about our strengths or our achievements but about our weaknesses and the way in which God has helped us in our weaknesses. Now, the next thing to see is that the true servant of the gospel does not abuse his authority. We look at now verses 19 to 21. He says, For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So Paul has been asking the believers to bear with a little bit of folly on his part, uh, the folly or apparent folly of, of, of boasting. And he says, after all, he says, well, effectively, well, you, you bear with it. You are patient when somebody abuses you. When somebody, when, 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 when one of your teachers makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Of course, what he's referring to is these false teachers. These false teachers who'd come into the church, they were misusing the power that they had. Now, there is such a thing as spiritual authority. There is such a thing as power in the church that, that... Uh, An elder does have authority. A pastor does have authority. Because he speaks in the place of God and he brings the word of God. And he is respected very often. And there is a great risk that when somebody is respected, that respect will be capitalized upon and misused not for the good of the people but for the good of the pastor himself and he will exploit the people rather than rather than actually doing them good. A shepherd is meant to feed the people of God. He's meant to do them good he's meant to care for them and to provide for their needs but what some shepherds do some supposed shepherds do is that instead of feeding the sheep they exploit the sheep they mistreat the sheep and uh, they they use them for their own ends back in ezekiel god criticized the shepherds of israel for the way in which they did that, instead of feeding the sheep of God, they exploited the sheep of God, and they they uh, they, they they mistreated them and and used them for their own ends. Uh, they did not bind up the sheep; they did not seek those that were straying, uh, but rather they 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 treated them badly. Ezekiel thirty-four is the reference there. Um, God says to the shepherds of Israel. Verse 3 of Ezekiel 34, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the stray you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That's what was happening here, clearly in Corinth. These supposed teachers, these supposed shepherds, they self-styled apostles, rather than giving to the sheep, they were taking from them. They were taking their money, taking advantage of them. They were consuming their wealth. They were putting on airs as if they were like all high and mighty and important. And treating other believers with contempt. They even were slapping them on the face. Using violence against them. Now, I wish I could say that this was only true in New Testament times. But I have seen a video, some of you might have seen it yourselves, of a man called Todd Bentley, who calls himself a healer, who does so by hitting people. It's there on YouTube, you can see it for yourself. It happens today. And there are, there are, there are people who call themselves healers and they say, well, if you want a blessing from God, bring your money sow a seed, they say. But the seed, they call it a seed to the Lord, but it's not to the Lord, it's to them. They say, bring your money. Oh, this sort of healing, this you need to bring several hundred pounds for this sort of healing. You need to bring a thousand pounds for that sort of healing. And they're literally exploiting the, the, the sheep of God. And I've heard of one who says, oh, if you haven't got the money, go and borrow the money. And so people are impovering are themselves in order to get the healing that's being offered by these people, which often is illusory anyway. The healer goes away rich, the people go away poor. That's exactly what's, what Paul is talking about here. Abusing power. Now, Paul says, with a note of, of, of irony, I was too weak for that. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Of course, he didn't. he's, he's, using, he's being ironic here or, or sarcastic. He wouldn't dream of doing such a thing because he loved the people of God. And when you're looking for a, a, a pastor or for an elder, Make sure you find somebody who is servant-hearted. Who doesn't put on airs. Who doesn't abuse his authority. Who's not a bully. Who uses the authority of the word of God only. Not the authority of his own personality. Not saying, oh, if you don't do this, I'll do that or that. No, that's wrong. It should be... On the basis of scripture, on the basis of persuasion, on the basis of love, that a man rules in the church. But let us also learn from for this for ourselves. All of every one of us, whether we're parents, whether we are teachers in schools, or whether we are citizens, you know, living our daily lives, we should not abuse whatever authority we have. We should be kind and gentle. Now the next thing we see, the third thing we see, is that a true servant of, of the gospel shows that he is genuine by his suffering. Verses twenty one through to twenty seven in our reading. For anybody who might have arrived more recently, we're on we're in one Corinthians chapter sorry, second Corinthians chapter eleven. We're thinking about the marks of true gospel ministry. And now we're thinking about how, what is it that really shows that somebody is genuine. And the answer is what really shows that somebody is a true servant of God is not that he's got lots of money. Not that he's got, he can talk about visions, not that, he can, not that he's got, got fantastic success in this world. What really shows that somebody is a true servant is that he suffers for Christ. And that's what he's talking about there in these verses. And the suffering is very wide-ranging. It covers many things. So it's suffering from hard work. Uh, We see this um, in... um, In verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments. He's working hard for Christ. If you look for a pastor and he's somebody who's always at ease what you might call a a, uh, a bedroom slipper pastor always at ease never really at, at work never really doing anything never really visiting never really catech- never really doing classes never really preaching just having an easy life what sort of man is that? Who, what sort of a shepherd is that? who's just taking life easy? no he should be somebody who's working hard. And then he talks about uh, the suffering caused by persecution. He talks at verse end of verse twenty three. Far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Verse twenty four. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. and night and a day I was adrift at sea. Persecuted. And this is another mark of a true believer, a true servant of Christ. As we read in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus warned that those who are faithful to Christ will suffer in one way or another suffer persecution in, in one way or another now at the moment in our country it's it's very subtle it's it 's that you 're not really regarded as flavor of the month people people will keep away from a preacher who sticks to the real gospel and who sticks to uh biblical teaching. Uh, but that may well change uh, as, as, as time goes on. And if we look down through the ages, faithful pastors have often been the target of persecution. Uh, you go through this country in the seventeenth century, it's in the sixteenth century, the time of the Reformation. Many hundreds of, 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 of pastors were literally burned alive at the stake for the gospel that they proclaimed under Queen Mary I. Early 17th century, um, under King Charles and uh, under James I, and then under Charles I, lots of faithful Christians went off to what is now the United States because there was very great persecution here. There was a few years of of tolerance um, in in the time of of the Commonwealth under Cromwell and then when Charles II came to the throne there was a lot of persecution of Christians again and many Christians including John Bunyan and many other faithful pastors were put into prison for the fact that they preached the gospel. Uh, in the in the eighteenth century we hear of the revival preachers of people like George Whitefield and John Wesley but what many people don 't realize is that many times that they preached they were nearly killed there were riots people were picked up stones to stone them people would turn up at when they were preaching in the now with 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 guns to try and kill them shoot them God preserved them but they were constantly under threat of their lives think of Christians in other preachers in other parts of the world. Think of of, of, of preachers under communist Russia, many sent to prison camps. Think of, of pastors in China during the Cultural Revolution. Think of today pastors in Iran, North Korea, parts of India, northern Nigeria in constant fear of their lives. Think of uh, of a man, a figure that we have been praying for, a man called Pastor Akram, working in Pakistan, who's had many threats on his life as he's faithfully preached the gospel. And he's been told by others to flee, but he stood stood firm, uh, believing that God was calling him to stay in in where where he's been. Now, we've been in a somewhat unusual situation Position in this last 150 years or so uh, that um, there's not been overt persecution, although we do live in a very hostile age and one which is becoming increasingly hostile. And we see the clouds gathering. A true pastor is someone who is not going to compromise. You see, there are people out there who, when the world says we've all got to become climate aware, suddenly they become climate aware. The world says you've got to allow female preachers. Suddenly these pastors say you can have female preachers. The world says you've got to bless homosexuality. So suddenly these pastors start blessing homosexuality. You need to find a man who's not going to go with the crowd, who's going to stand up, who's going to be different, who's not going to compromise. At the moment, that might not mean his life. It might mean a bit of unpopularity. But somebody who's going to be faithful now will be faithful when it gets really tough. So, uh, and this is a, a lesson for us as well. We need to be ready as Christians to suffer. Next thing he talks about. Danger and hardship from his missionary journeys. Uh, Second half of verse um, 25. Three times he says I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from Frost Brothers. Paul's faithfulness was seen by the fact that he was prepared to endure danger. It's a little bit dangerous living here in Poplar, isn't it? Not massively dangerous, but it's a little bit dangerous living here. People say, Oh, go up. Go and live in some nice leafy suburb somewhere. Well, somebody has to live here. Somebody needs to preach the gospel here in Poplar. Are you prepared to do that? We need to be prepared, don't we, for the danger of living in a fallen world. The dangers that we face are nothing like as severe as what Paul faced, but there are dangers. We've got brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are facing great danger to take relief supplies to people in cities that are being bombed, right near the front line, and to bring out refugees. People might say, well, you shouldn't do that, it's dangerous, but no, they're doing it out of love for Christ and out of love for For others, are we prepared to endure danger? And then he talks about what could really best be called economic hardship. Verse 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure why why was he cold why was he hungry I think the answer must be because he couldn't afford somewhere a hotel to stay in he couldn't afford nice food or much food there were times when he was literally hungry So much for the idea that if you are a faithful Christian, you'll be rich. Paul wasn't rich. He was poor for much of his life. Much of his service of Christ. And a lot of that was related to the fact that he was serving Christ. Christ. So we see then that the the, the third thing is that the true servant of Christ is willing to suffer for the gospel. Look for a man who's willing to suffer for the gospel and has not shirked away. Of course, we don't court suffering, we don't want to cause suffering. It's in God's hands whether we suffer or not. But we must not be some, the person must not be somebody who. Shirks suffering by compromising. And what about ourselves? Will we be willing to suffer for Christ? Remember what Jesus said if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Are you a believer? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Well, the next thing we see is that a true servant has deep concern for the Lord's people. Look at verses 28 and 29. Paul says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. Paul has this deep. Deep concern for other believers. We've seen this in this letter, haven't we? How, back in chapter 7, how he couldn't get any rest, he describes in chapter 7, verses 5 to 9. He couldn't get any rest. He He couldn't get any peace. Why? Because he didn't know what was happening in Corinth. He was really concerned for the church in Corinth. And so he sacrificed his companion, Titus, to go and find out what was going on in Corinth. And when he came, when Titus came back and told them that everything's doing really well, oh, he's so relieved. Oh, he's so pleased and so happy because they're doing okay. Same thing in, in 1 Thessalonians. He talks there about how he'd only been in Thessalonica for a couple of weeks and he'd established the church there and he'd come to love the people there so much but then he was wondering how are they doing what's going on really concerned for them and so he describes in 1 Thessalonians 3 about how when he couldn't bear it any longer he sent Timothy his, his right hand man to, to Thessalonica to find out if they're okay and then Timothy came back oh He's brought verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us and we longed to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you and through your faith. For now we live if you are steadfast in the Lord. This is like life from the dead for me. Hearing that you're doing okay. He loved these people. And you can see this in all his letters. He's praying for the people in Rome. He's praying for the people in Colossae. He's praying for the people in Ephesus. He's praying for the believers in Corinth. Always, always praying for them. Yearning for them. Longing for them. Concerned for them. Here is somebody who has a genuine and deep concern and you can you can well imagine paul he hears some good some, some, some sad news about some believer who's fallen into sin you can well imagine him being up all night with the concern and the the grief the prayer for this brother or this sister who's fallen into sin when you're looking for a pastor, you need to look for a man who really loves the sheep of God. And pray for me, pray for Ed, that we might be those who really do love, who really do care for you. I trust that God has given me love and care for you, but pray that that will increase more and more, that we will be those who really care for the sheep. But again, this is something which should be an example for us all, shouldn't it? We should all have a Tender, love and concern one for the other if you don't see somebody don't just leave it to Ed or, or me to get in touch with that person get in touch yourself are you okay? missed you at church it's all okay you hear that somebody's not well if you can go and see that person or get in touch in some way show this love, this concern you hear that somebody's you sense that somebody's not quite happy in the Lord at the moment Get in touch. Is everything all right? You've not seen somebody for a few weeks. And when you do see that person, they seem all down and depressed. Get in touch. Pray. Be concerned. This is how it should be. We should be this loving family, caring, praying for one another. And then, lastly, we see that a true servant of God is willing to endure humiliation verses 30 to 33 of 1 2, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, if I must boast, I, must, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now this incident is recorded in Acts. Uh, It comes from the time of Paul's conversion. He'd gone to Damascus in order to, uh, with a great company of people, in great pomp and ceremony and, and a great sense of importance, with letters of authority from the Sanhedrin, to go and find Believers, and to arrest them, and to bring them back to Jerusalem, so they might be might put in, in, on trial. But what happens? Well, on the way, he met Christ, and he was blinded, and he he had to sort of be led by the hand into into Damascus, and there he heard the gospel, and and he was converted, and he he he. Uh, he was baptised. And he started to preach about Christ. Well, once this happened, the Jews then stirred up the, the, the governor to want to arrest him. And so the governor closes up, the, because it's a walled city. In those days, they had these walls around the cities, and, which like fortress cities. And the, the governor closed up the, the, the doors of, of, of the city, the gates of the city, so that Paul couldn't escape. Saul, as he was then called, couldn't escape. And so what did he do? Well, he had to go through the indignity of getting into some basket, what it was used for. We don't know, maybe for washing or for fish or something like this. And he was lowered out the wall, down, down, the, side, down the wall, through, through a window. And he had to sort of sneak off. You can imagine somebody saying, right, Paul, Saul, this is the only way you're going to get out of this place, just get in that basket. Me? Don't you know who I am? Get in the basket. He got in that basket. And he he was lowered down like a piece of wet washing. And off he went. And this shows, he says... This is the sort of weak person I am. This is what I've become. I've become a nobody. Somebody to just be let down in a in a, in a basket. He was. This was a. He was a. This was a. An aristocrat. He was a. He was a, a very learned man. A, a, a son of Gamaliel. One of the elite of Israel. And now he goes down the outside of the wall in a basket. He's prepared to be humiliated for Christ. And this is what a true servant will be. He's prepared to be humiliated. He's prepared to be to be nothing. John said, didn't he, about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. He he didn't want the, the pride of place. He didn't want the position, the status. Prepared to be nobody for the sake of Christ. And we too, mustn't we? We must also be willing to suffer humiliation for the sake of Christ. Our status doesn't matter. Our position doesn't matter. What matters is that Christ is glorified and honoured. Okay, so let's just sum up then. We see these five characteristics modelled in Paul. He was very reluctant to boast about himself, and if he did, he only boasted of, his weakness secondly he did not abuse spiritual power thirdly he showed that he was the genuine a genuine servant of Christ by being willing to suffer fourthly he had a genuine love for the people of god and fifthly he's willing to suffer humiliation so these are the characteristics you need to look for And these are the characteristics that we need to model in our lives. And if you're going to be a Christian, this is what you need to be prepared to be. You need to be prepared to suffer for Christ. To humble yourself for Christ. You might say, is it worth it? answer, yes, it is worth it. Because... Through knowing Christ, we have unspeakable treasures at the resurrection. And that will make whatever suffering, whatever humiliation, whatever difficulty, whatever poverty we've been through for the sake of Christ, really worthwhile.